She has an aneurysm that needs to be treated. It's um, been causing her great distress. Um, You know, as we've talked about before, she's lost a lot of weight. She's extremely weak. It's just a very difficult circumstance all the way around. And they gave her an option again. She had tried to have the surgery before where they would go up through her leg and try and treat the aneurysm that's at the base of her brain, and they weren't able to quite reach it. They tried a couple of different times, a couple of different ways, and it didn't work. And so they said, you know, we need to... uh, do something different here. At the last moment, one of the surgeons, Barb told me this last week, that uh, one of the surgeons did say, maybe we should try the leg again. And Barb said, nope, we're not trying the leg again. I want you to go straight in because I want to get this taken care of. So they're going to go in through the uh, top side of her brain and go down and, and do at the base of her brain, try and get to the aneurysm and do the things that need to be done there. And we're going to pray about it right now. Would you bow with me, please? Holy Father, we want very much, God, for you to be with Barb uh, in the coming days. Father, we pray that on Wednesday especially that you would bless her with your healing. We pray, God, that the surgeons who are working with her, that they would have uh, wonderful technique, wonderful knowledge, that they would know exactly what they're doing, that you would direct them to the exact places that need to be treated, and they would do this with uh, great efficiency and effectiveness that you would steady their hands. And God, we just pray that the procedure that Barb is going to undergo would be absolutely effective and successful. We pray for her safety and her care. We know that, God, that you're watching over her. And we just pray you'd still her heart and bless her in the coming days as she readies herself for the surgery. Pray that you'd be with Gary, with the remainder of his family. Bless them as they think about Barb and her surgery. We pray that you give everyone great peace and comfort through this uh, whole experience. We pray these things through Jesus. Amen. Please continue to remember Barb in the coming days. I also wanted to mention that we're having an international potluck today. If you are from a certain country, which as far as I can tell fits everybody in the room, then you are welcome to come to the international potluck. And if you're not from any particular country, which doesn't fit anybody in the room, but if there was someone here, you also would be invited to the International Potluck. So we'd love for you to come. Please, if you didn't bring any food, then come and bring bring yourself, bring who's with you, eat some food anyway. Hopefully there'll be enough for all of us, and God will bless us with a wonderful time of fellowship. So please come immediately following the service uh, today, and we'll have a wonderful time of fellowship. I did notice some people in traditional garb this morning, like myself. This This is traditional Canadian garb that I'm wearing this morning, okay? And some of you, I see some of you decided to wear it as well. So well done. We'll go and, uh, and have a wonderful international potluck today. Um, I also wanted to mention that uh, Jeff Taylor, some of you may know Jeff Taylor, who was here, and his wife's name was, thank you. I, don't, I didn't know Jeff and Janet. I've met them once down in California a couple of years ago, but I don't really know them. Some of you do, though. Uh, they were here years ago. Jeff lost his brother Morgan in a car accident uh, within the last couple of days. So we need to be praying also about Jeff and Janet Taylor and ask God to bless them. Today is a, a bit of a difficult subject for a preacher, or for that matter, anybody to address uh, in a sermon. Because we're talking today about ethics, talking about Christian behavior. And you might think that's easy for me to address because there's so many passages in the Bible that talk about Christian behavior, so this would just be easy for me. But there's a couple of problems. 
One is, I'm a little afraid that when I start into a sermon on Christian behavior, that you're going to think that I think that I'm worthy to preach this sermon. And I'm not. And so you think to yourself, boy, he, you know, he must really be doing extremely well in his walk with Christ that he can stand up and tell us how to live. But of course, that's not the truth at all. That's not the way it works. I have the privilege of preaching things that are far better than what I live. I have the chance to preach to you things about what God says, but they're not necessarily the things that I carry out perfectly. So that's, that's one problem. I'm afraid that you might think that I'm up here when really I'm down here, but I want to say the things that are still up here. The other problem, of course, is that you may well recognize, first of all, that I am unworthy. And you might say to yourself, he has no business preaching those things. But I'm hoping that you won't think that I'm too low as you're thinking those things. So there's a standard here that God calls us to. And the fact is, I'm not up there. And you may well recognize it. You might think to yourself, that guy has no right at all to be saying these things to us. And you would be right. So I don't want you to think I'm too high. But I also don't want you to think that I'm too low. I am unworthy to preach these things. But God also gives me the privilege. So I think together we can talk about some things this morning that God does want us to do. Some things that God wants us to be. And, and I think we're going to grow from this. I, I certainly pray that we will. Well, I think another problem that I have to face this morning is the fact is that you know the things that I'm talking about. Like... If we were to read through one of the biblical lists this morning, and I'm actually going to do that in just a moment, of all the kinds of sins that God does not want us to commit, the fact is that you pretty much know them all. Like, I'm not going to clue you into something that you don't know today about how we're supposed to live. And so, for example, we can look at Romans chapter 1, verse 29 and verse 30. Turn there in your Bibles, if you would. And I can't remember what page this is in in the Pew Bibles. Somebody's going to turn to a pew Bible, though, and they're going to have the exact number, and they're going to shout it out and let us all know. It's like 796 or something. Romans chapter 1. Is it 796? Is it? Oh. It's like the Spirit is alive and working in my life this morning. Okay. That was, that was kind of a guess, actually. But look at what Romans 1.29 says. And I'll start with verse 28. It says, Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to, to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey, the, disobey their parents. Fortunately, all those who do that, we sent down to the gym this morning. And they're the very ones who need to hear the sermon. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. And so there's the list. But you already knew that. So what am I going to say? I've got nothing new to say here in terms of the list of things that need to be done. Well, I do want to say some things, but what I don't want to do is just talk about the do's and don'ts. We could just talk about the list today, 
But the fact is, is that discipleship, and we've, we're talking here about coming and following Jesus. Coming and following Jesus. So we're talking about discipleship, and discipleship is so much more than just do's and don'ts. And so I don't want to just talk about do's and don'ts, and again, for at least a couple of reasons. First, the majority of you don't need me to remind you that God does not want us to get drunk or to murder. Okay? The majority of you don't need that. I don't know of anybody in here who is contemplating murder. So we'll move on past that one. Now, it's possible. And by the way, let me just say, for the record, if you're contemplating murder, please don't. Okay? Let's not. Just in case you're wondering where I'm at on that one. Okay? In fact, I don't want you to do it right now either. Uh, Like, you know, this happens in the States, right? And the preacher gets in trouble. I don't want that to happen this morning. Secondly, though, we are focusing on, again, discipleship, and you simply can't equate discipleship with correct living. Now, when I say that, that might cause you a little bit of a problem. Because you might think to yourself, well, I thought, I thought discipleship was all about correct living. Well... If that's the case, then being a disciple equals right behavior. And I think there are some problems with that statement, that equation. What do you think? Does that make sense to you? That being a disciple of Jesus equals right behavior? In one sense, I think it should But in another sense, I'm not convinced that that's exactly right. The question is, though, what's wrong with it? If there's something wrong with that equation, what exactly is wrong? Well, one is that being a disciple includes a lot of other things besides just right behavior. We've looked at some of the things that discipleship entails. It includes, for example, the things that you think. It includes, for example, the things that you talk about. And so discipleship certainly isn't just about my behavior. What you think in your mind, what you hold in your heart, in fact, can be far more important in terms of your discipleship than what you actually do. And so I would say something like this, that being a disciple of Jesus is greater than just right behavior, if we're going to put it in terms of mathematical equations. In fact, there are other problems with this. Because the fact is, you don't always live well. And so we could say this, again, we could say being a disciple of Jesus equals right behavior, but most of you, if I ask you, are you a disciple of Jesus, you would say, well, I at least want to be. And most of you would probably say, yeah, I'm following Christ. I'm giving him my life. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. But then if I ask you, so you always live perfectly, I think you would probably say, along with me, no, I don't. So it doesn't work because it makes it sound like you don't always or that you do always, I should say, live correctly before him, and yet you know that you don't. 
So I'm not sure, again, that being a disciple of Jesus exactly equals right behavior. Well, what can we say? I think there are some things we can say, like this. Being a disciple includes right behavior, but a few Christians, but in a few Christians, does this approach perfection? Very few, actually. Living perfectly seems, in fact, impossible. Wouldn't you say that's the case? Any of you live out there perfectly? And I would say living perfectly is a difficult thing to do. I would also say something like this. Being a disciple includes a heartfelt desire and commitment to follow the ethical teachings and practices of Jesus and the Bible. Maybe long before it actually includes perfect behavior. And so again, there's something that goes on inside us more than just something that goes on through our actions. And then thirdly, I might say something like this. Being a disciple does not include actions that does include actions that head in the direction of following the teachings and practices of Jesus. Again, but we don't live it perfectly. And so I would say that indeed, faith without works is dead. And there should be some progress in your life. You may work well in some ways before the Lord and work out well in some ways your salvation. You're not living perfectly before Him, but I'd like to think that there's some kind of progress being made in you. I'd like to think there's some kind of sanctification and that you're becoming, as time passes, more and more what God wants you to be. So do we live perfectly? No. But does discipleship include some kind of notion of moving in a positive direction toward God wants us, what God wants us to be? I would say absolutely it does. Well, those are some things about behavior. But as I said, the fact is, I don't really want to focus there this morning. Because I don't know that living out our behavior perfectly is all that's entailed in discipleship. So what do I want to talk about when it comes to living well before the Lord? Well, here are some things. First, God wants from us even more than he wants our perfect behavior authenticity he wants us to be authentic disciples and this is a matter of the heart leading toward the impacting of behavior and so god does want something to go on inside of you something real something authentic what, what's authenticity? What is that? Being sincere? Truly being committed? Being open? Being vulnerable about who we really are? Being willing to say, this is me, all of me. And yeah, I don't always do right, but I really want to do what God wants me to do. And I really, really do want it. I think all of that is entailed in authenticity. And again, that's a question not necessarily of my behavior, but of my heart. Now, Jesus actually talks about just this kind of thing. Here's Kelly's translation from a pretty famous passage in the Gospel of Matthew from the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said, do not murder. But I say to you, don't lose your temper. Don't call anyone a fool. I think I could stop right there. 
Don't hold grudges. And don't refuse to attempt reconciliation when relationships are broken. Because if you're an angry or bitter person or you have a habit of ridiculing others in anger or you hold grudges and refuse to forgive or you hold on to bitterness, what's the problem? Your heart is not right before God and that's what he really cares about. Now, I called that Kelly's translation. I think we would say that that's a paraphrase. But I think this gets at the heart of what Jesus is concerned about when he's teaching in the Sermon on the Mount and telling us about how we should live. Because he's far more concerned about our hearts than our specific forms of behavior. But does he want us to be different people because of who he is? He absolutely does. Here's another translation slash paraphrase you've heard it said to not commit adultery but i say to you getting caught up in the extreme sexual fixation of our society is going to ruin you you need to deal as a christian with your pornography addiction to say nothing of your office affair because your heart is being impacted by these ways you can't begin to know you might think that the impact of our sexual culture on you is minimal. You might think, well, you know, I'm just doing this by myself, in private, not really impacting anybody. Well, first of all, you have no idea how much it's impacting you. I don't think we have a clue. And second of all, you don't have any idea how much that impacts your relationships and who you are with other people, even if they don't know. It does. And so again, what does Jesus want more than anything? He wants our hearts to be different. You can't just say, well, I haven't committed adultery. I haven't murdered anybody. Just keeping a list of rules and keeping some laws is not what the Lord desires for us as his followers, as his disciples. He wants us to be different inside so that things are different on the outside. So we can't just paint the exterior. We can't just deal with the behaviors. We need to deal with questions like, why are we angry and bitter? And why do we hold grudges? And why do we let our lust get away from us? Why do we not understand how much we're loved by our Heavenly Father? Why do we not understand how special we are in His eyes? And so why do we allow us to let these things get a hold of us? Why do we not recognize that there is a spiritual root to all of these weak things in which we participate? And so there needs to be something that happens on the inside, an impact on our hearts. Second thing, right living is not just something that we practice in isolation from the world or antithesis to it so that we separate ourselves from it. We must practice it in the world as in the world, but not of the world. And you know, there are some Christians who think that the right way to live is for us to all go off on an island somewhere all by ourselves and have an insulated uh, singular community 
where we can just be together and nobody will impact us. So what we'll do is we'll take all temptation away from us. Then we'll be okay. As if being together won't somehow be tempting in terms of anger and bitterness and rage and even sexual temptation. And so it doesn't work for us to be out of the world. In fact, Jesus says we are in it. The question is, how do you respond to being in the world? Jesus himself ate with the Pharisees. He fellowshiped with prostitutes. He hung out with the drunkards and the thieves. And then while he was spending time with those kinds of people, he began to teach them. And so we would say this about Jesus. Jesus practiced his righteousness right when he was among them. Jesus didn't take the 12 and say, let's go off on the mountain by ourselves and ignore everybody else. In fact, let's hide. Instead, he was with them. So he walks along and he sees a man up on a tree and he goes to Zacchaeus, who's a tax collector, in fact, a chief tax collector, which means he probably is a lot more dishonest than anybody else. And he goes and he finds Zacchaeus and says, I'm going to eat at your house today. He didn't get an invitation. He told Zacchaeus, I'm coming to eat with you today. I want to spend time with you, you lying piece of garbage. And he doesn't say that, but that's who Zacchaeus is and everybody knows it. And Jesus goes and spends time with Zacchaeus. And the result is, Zacchaeus says, I'm going to give half of all that I have to the poor. And if I have a debt that I owe to somebody, I'm going to pay it back to them four times. Now, Jesus could have just gone on and said, you know, that tax collector, he's kind of a bad dude. I don't think I'm going to get anywhere near him. You guys, Philip, stay away from that man. And Zacchaeus would have stayed exactly where he was and there would have been no restitution. There would have been no poor that were fed. But because Jesus decides to spend time with Zacchaeus, everything changes in his life. And it's so important for us to get out into the world and have an impact on those who are far from God and what he wants them to be. But it won't happen if we decide to just stay sheltered. Third thing, sins of omission are as bad as sins of commission. Thou shalt not commit adultery. That's a sin of commission. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not steal. Those are all sins of commission. Jesus says, don't do those. But there are some sins of omission that we sometimes commit, thinking that they're not quite as bad as those. And so Jesus says, you should feed the poor. You should... Give a portion of your income to the church. You should take care of those who are widows and orphans. You should talk to the world about Jesus. And it's so easy for us to kind of take those sins of omission and push those to the side and think that they're not as important as the ones where it says, do not do this. And so we keep our list and we ignore all those things that we should be doing when Jesus really wants us to do them. There are things we are commanded to do and not doing them is as bad as doing the things we are not supposed to do. Do you get that? There are some things we are commanded to do 
and not doing them is as bad as doing the things we are not supposed to do. And we try and reconcile that sometimes in our lives and it just doesn't work. Here are some things that Jesus did. We could think about how he treated the poor. We could think about how he shared and lived out the kingdom. We could think about how he taught others about God. To not follow the example of Jesus in these things reveals a heart that is different than that of a disciple. Because what's the definition of a disciple, Jesus, uh, church? It's to follow after Jesus. And so if Jesus is doing these things, treating the poor well and sharing the kingdom with them and teaching others about God, then those are the things that we need to be doing. And there's just no way around the fact that to not do them is to not follow Jesus as he wants us to do. Fourth, one of the things that we have to know about righteousness is that we can actually live better than we think. And that the Holy Spirit desires to help us in doing just exactly this. You know, one of the reasons that people don't make progress in their lives is because they think they can't do it. We do have fairly low self-esteem as human beings. We do think that we're kind of down there, not really what we should be, and therefore I can't really make any progress. I'm not any better than this. And all the while, the Holy Spirit is saying, but I want to help you. I want to help you become what you can be. Don't think that you're weak, that you're broken, and that's all you are. You may be weak, you may be broken, but that is not all you are. And your sinful self, that is not all you are. Because the Holy Spirit wants to take the adulterer and make them holy. The Holy Spirit wants to take the thief and help them not steal. The Holy Spirit wants to take the one who is absolutely broken because of their sinfulness and make them whole. And so here is what I want you to do. If you're in any of those positions, I want you to read Romans 8 and then read Romans 8 and Romans 8. And I want you to read Galatians 5 and Galatians 5 and Galatians 5. Now, if you can't tell, I'm thinking that repetition might get this into your heads better. And so I'm just going to tell you, go home this afternoon. Now, this only applies to sinners, though. Um, so maybe some of you think, well, it's not me. But in case that somehow fits, read Romans 8 and read Romans 8 and drink from Romans 8 and contemplate Romans 8 and pray about Romans 8 and think about Romans 8 over and again until the Holy Spirit finally infects you with the knowledge of who you really are in Christ because of, the, of his presence. And then read Galatians 5 and read Galatians 5 again and keep meditating on it and praying about it and thinking about Galatians 5 until God, through his spirit, gets through your mind that you have the ability to be what he wants you to be in him because his spirit wants to do that for you. And I would say that this, the presence of, our, of the spirit in our lives is so much different and so much more and so much better than a list of do's and don'ts. We can read through the list again, I guess, if you want. 
all the things that God doesn't want us to do. But the presence of the Holy Spirit in us to transform us and change us is the source of true discipleship in Him. And you can't follow Jesus unless the Holy Spirit comes the way that Romans 8 says and Galatians 5 says and begins to change you. And so today, ah, a little bit of do's and don'ts. But really, a whole lot more about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus who follows Him through the presence of the Spirit in your life. That's where the power of right living comes from. And that's what God wants to be doing in us. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank You for the blessing of life that we have in You, for the forgiveness that we find in Jesus for not just the forgiveness of sins, but then the coming of the Spirit who empowers us, enables us to be so much different and better than what we could ever be ourselves. And Father, there are sinful people who, who are in the hearing of my voice right now, and there is myself as well who needs to, to understand from you today the strength that we have to live well before you. We, we need to hear your call to be followers of Jesus and to know that your spirit empowers us so that we can be just exactly that. And so, yes, I do pray today for forgiveness for those who fall short, which I, I can't imagine there's anyone in here, God, who doesn't need that. But then on top of the forgiveness, Father, there is a strength and a presence from you that will enable us to live right before you. And we pray, God, you'd send your spirit and make him live within us that we can be different, transformed by you to become followers of our Lord. Help us, Father, to do that. Use texts like Romans 8 and Galatians 5 to shape our minds and change us so that we can be all you want us to be. Thank you for our morning together and the blessing we have of reading your word, of growing together. It's through Jesus that we pray. Amen.